Hi there, you're listening to an obstetrics and gynaecology podcast today, and today we'll be talking about labour. Labour is the process by which regular, painful contractions bring about effacement and dilation of the cervix. There are three stages. First stage is from time of onset of labour to full dilation of the cervix at 10 centimetres, and it can be broken down into latent labour, which is the time between the onset of labour to 4 centimetres dilation, and this has no associated time frame, and active labour, which describes the time from 4 centimetres to 10 centimetres dilation, and it should be roughly 1 centimetre an hour. The second stage is from full dilation of the cervix until expulsion of the fetus from the birth canal, and this usually takes 1 to 2 hours for nullipara and less than 1 hour for multipara. The third stage begins after the delivery of the fetus and ends after the expulsion of the placenta and membranes. The average duration should be no more than 50 minutes and often only takes 5 minutes depending on the management employed. Now let's look at some of the ways we can monitor the first stage of labour. Abdominal palpation can be used to confirm the lie and presentation of the baby. Palpation of the contractions can determine the frequency, length and strength We can also use uterine electromyogram topography to assess contractions. Vaginal examinations can be performed every four hours and dilation can be plotted on a cervicogram, which are those two diagonal lines assessing whether there's obstruction of labour. The mother can be assessed using vital signs and the fetus can be assessed using cardiotopography as well as fetal scalp testing. In terms of management of all three stages, in the first stage we focus on monitoring the baby and maternal's well-being, as well as supplying the mother appropriate analgesia such as heat backs, epidural, nitrous oxide and oxygen administration. In the second stage, we can apply warm compresses and use perianal massages, as well as episiotomies. In the third stage, it's important that we use controlled traction while allowing the placenta to separate spontaneously, as well as administering oxytocin intramuscularly after cutting the umbilical cord. Examine the placenta to confirm completeness. Induction of labour may be indicated in post-term pregnancies, premature rupture of membranes, hypertension, maternal diabetes, reduced fetal movements and distress, or multiple pregnancies. The Bishop score is used to indicate the likelihood of successful induction. It consists of cervical position, consistency, effacement, dilation, and fetal station. A score above seven indicates a febrile cervix for vaginal delivery. Induction of labour can take the form of artificially rupturing the membranes using an amniotomy hook, and if the cervix is still unfavourable, there are three options. Firstly, cervidil, which is a continuous release vaginal pessary. Secondly, a Foley's catheter can be used. Or thirdly, a membrane stretch and sweep. A maternal oxytocin infusion can also help induce labour and strengthen uterine contractions. Now let's have a look at some of the indications for caesarean sections. This can be broken down into elective and emergency. Emergency caesarean sections are most commonly for failure to progress in labour or suspected fetal compromise, as well as suspected uterine rupture 
or severe vaginal bleeding of unknown etiology, which could indicate something like placental separation. Indications for an elective caesarean section include breech presentation at term, other malpresentations, twin pregnancies, maternal medical conditions that could be dangerous to the mother, such as cardiomyopathy, fetal compromise, such as early onset growth restriction or abnormal fetal Dopplers, transmissible diseases such as poorly controlled HIV or primary genital herpes, placenta previa, maternal diabetes with a macrosomic baby, and a previous major shoulder dystocia. After talking about caesarean section, let's talk VBAC, vaginal birth after caesarean. Why would you do it? Well, two-thirds of women have successful vaginal births after caesarean sections. You avoid surgery, have a shorter stay in hospital, and it improves your outcome for future vaginal births. Why wouldn't you do it? Well, the big one is the risk of uterine rupture, one in 200 chance. You're also at greater risk of needing an emergency caesarean section, instrumental delivery, or having a perineal tear. Let's talk about contraindications. Two absolute contraindications for VBAC are classical caesarean section scars and previous uterine rupture, as well as all other contraindications to caesarean sections. So, some of the factors that we indicate a higher success rate for VBAC include being of younger age, a normal BMI, having a previously successful vaginal birth, the baby being in an OA position and normal presentation, having greater than 24 months since your caesarean section, and having a spontaneous labour. So that concludes the podcast on labour, and whilst lots of topics were left untouched, hopefully they'll be answered in future podcasts.